He's good, amen? He's worthy of our song. He's worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of our attention. He's worthy of this assembly today. There's a lot of places I guess you could be today. He's worthy of our gathering today. Today we begin a new journey together as a church. It seemed unfair to do 43 sessions on the Gospel of John and then stop. The Gospel of John begs the question. The Gospel of John reveals the life of Jesus and what he did and what he said. But then what? What happened after that? The book of Acts is what happened after that. The book of Acts described what follows the Gospel of John. So it is my plan by the grace of God that we're going to study the book of Acts. We're going to find out what the church is supposed to look like. We're going to find out what the church is supposed to be doing while we wait for our king's return. The book of Acts is what happens to people who find out what Jesus really is, who he really is. That's what the book of Acts is about. The book of Acts is what happens when Jesus leaves. Listen carefully. The book of Acts is what happens when Jesus leaves. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and the Holy Spirit comes. That's what the book of Acts is about. The book of Acts is the story of the beginning of the church age and the power of the church. It is unstoppable. What did Jesus say? The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. It is powerful. It is unstoppable. It is not a building. It's people who have the Holy Spirit inside of them. I'll ask you a question today. Are you ready to take a journey into the very presence of God? Why, why do I put it like that? Because in the Gospel of John, it says this. To know the Word, which we're going to look at in the book of Acts. To know the Word is to know the Son. To know the Son is to know the Father. To know the Father is to know eternal life. And I doubt there's a person in this room that doesn't want eternal life. But there's an order to the revelation of eternal life. You have to know the Word. And the Word reveals the Son, and the Son reveals the Father, and the Father reveals eternal life. Before I read the first verse from the book of Acts, let me tell you about the author. And when I use the word author, let me say he is the author, but he is under the power of the Holy Spirit. His name is Luke. Maybe you didn't know that Luke was the writer of the book of Acts. He was a Gentile. Do you know that? Luke was a Gentile believer, even though the Bible never records his conversion. But he's a Gentile believer. Did you know that one of the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that one of the four gospel writers is a Gentile? Some of you didn't know that. It is believed that he was converted by the Apostle Paul, and Luke admits that he was not there to witness the beginnings of Jesus' ministry. He spent most of his time traveling as Paul's traveling companion, witnessing and writing down the works of God so that you and I could read them here today. Luke was also a doctor, a well-educated man of public standing, called of God to write down two books inside this 66-book 
called the Bible. He wrote down the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote down the book of Acts. This is how the book of Luke, I want to introduce Acts by introducing the beginning of Luke. This is how the book of Luke introduces a man that will also be introduced in the book of Acts. Luke 1, 1. Here we go. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulated among us, circulating among us from the early disciples, having carefully investigated. Luke says, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I, Luke, have also decided <coughs> to write a careful account for you, most excellent Theopolis. So Luke's writing a letter to somebody. His name is Theopolis. He's writing a careful account of Jesus' life to a man named Theopolis. Verse 4, so you, Theopolis, can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Now, for our guests and our visitors today, I want to give you a heads up. On the back of the bulletin, I list every scripture that I plan to use today so that you'll know. You can read them for yourselves maybe later. Secondly, I leave blanks in there, so maybe it helps you to follow along. On the screen behind me, you'll see those blanks filled in in yellow. And if you think you can keep up with me, grab a pen and see if you can. My friend Theophilus got a letter. That's what Luke's saying. He's writing this gospel of Luke to a man named Theophilus. Why? So that he can be certain of the truth that's been taught about Jesus. Luke, a Gentile believer, is writing Theophilus, a Gentile believer. Isn't that interesting? Many believe he was a man of significant rank, this Theophilus guy. He was probably a Roman officer because of how Luke refers to him as most excellent, probably a man of rank in the Roman government. Luke wrote one of the four Gospels, and he must have concluded the same thing that I have. We can't stop there. He wrote Luke, so then he has to do, he has to write Acts, so we know what happens next. Now, here we go, verse 1 from the book of Acts. In my first book, what would that be? That'd be the Gospel of Luke. In my first book, I told you, Theopolis, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Do you know what the word Theopolis means? It has a meaning. Lover of God. We don't know anything else about this Theopolis guy. It's not recorded anywhere else. I don't know any more of his story, except that he was the original recipient of two of the books in the Bible, Luke and Acts. Now, let's really get started. I want to pray. Father, as we begin this journey through the book of Acts, would you open our minds to understand the scriptures? Would you let the wind blow? Would you let the fire fall? In Jesus' name. Amen. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day, here we go, until the day that he was taken up into heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions. How did he give them further instructions? Through the Holy Spirit. Until the day he was taken up, 
This is where Acts picks up the Jesus story. He was taken up into heaven and given his chosen apostles further instructions. And don't read over how they got the further instructions. They got the further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Do you know what that looked like? Those further instructions from the risen Christ? So I want to do something today to start the, the book of Acts. I need, because they're both written by Luke, they're both written to Theopolis, I want to look at the last chapter of Luke and connect it to the first chapter of Acts because the story is just continual. So I want to go to Luke chapter 24, verse 44, and I want to see what Jesus said at the end of the gospel. Then he, Jesus said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Are you with me? He's announcing to his followers that everything written in the Old Testament about him, Jesus, has to happen. It's unstoppable. Anybody tries to get in its way, it'll just run over them. It has to happen. And then he says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. Jesus told them what some people today are still struggling with. Every word inside this book is going to heaven. Some of you, even in the room right now, you still doubt it. Everything written is going to happen. The only question is when. And then Jesus supernaturally does something. He did something for them that day that nobody can do for themselves. He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He opened their minds to understand the Word of God. Luke records that Jesus also did something else. He reveals the future. This is the end of Luke. If you're going to get the beginning of Acts, you've got to get the end of Luke. He reveals the future. Verse 47, Jesus says, It was also written that this message, it's written, so it's in the book, so it has to happen. It was also written that this message, this gospel, would be proclaimed in authority of his name to all the nations, beginning where? In Jerusalem. So what's the message? Jesus says there's an unstoppable series of events that are going to take place. They are recorded in the Word. The unstoppable series of events. One of them is the message, the gospel, is going to be preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, beginning in Jerusalem. What's the message? Do you know the message? The simplicity of this next verse. The message Jesus announced is this. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Say it out loud. There is forgiveness of sin for all who repent. One more time. There is forgiveness of sin for all who repent. This message is going to go around the world. It's unstoppable. He'll raise people up. He'll send them out. And they're going to preach this message. You don't have to die in your sins. You don't have to meet God with sin all over your life. You don't have to meet God in that way. There's forgiveness for those who repent. Don't leave out the repent part. 
And then he says, verse 48, you are my witnesses of all these things. This message, this gospel message is going to be proclaimed. You and I are proclaiming it here today. We just don't even know it. We're proclaiming this message. Jesus calls them witnesses. And then he announces something that I want to focus on today. If you want to connect the gospel of Luke to the book of Acts, here it comes. He announces the power of God is coming from heaven. Now he's about to leave earth. Jesus is going to leave them behind. But he's going to announce the power is going to come from heaven. They will need supernatural power to become Jesus' witnesses. He's already announced the mission. Beginning in Jerusalem, a message is going to be preached around the world. And you're going to need power to do that. Nobody can do that on their own power. Verse 49. Jesus says, And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. <coughs> There's a work to do. God's got this plan, this mission. But the church is never going to be able to do it. These apostles are never going to be able to do it. So you know what he says? I want you to stay in the city until the power comes. And when the power comes, then you can go out and do what I've called you to do. You're going to preach this message. There's forgiveness of sins for those who repent. The power of the witnesses is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says he's coming. In fact, what's interesting to me, and it's kind of illustrated by this picture behind me, what was the power that Jesus used when he began his mission? What's the power of the church when we begin our mission? The Bible says Jesus was 30 years old. 30 years old. Are you hearing me? We don't know much about him from birth to 12. And then we see that little scene at 12 years of age. He's in Jerusalem. And then there's a blank between that and 30. But at 30 years old, God says, it's time for you to begin your mission. And Jesus, a man, like you and I, a man, he walks to the Jordan River. He encounters John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptizes him in the water that day. And what happens? The Holy Spirit comes, descends like a dove on top of Jesus, and Jesus begins his mission. He immediately goes from the river Jordan into the wilderness and he confronts the adversary of God, Satan himself. But he doesn't do it until the Holy Spirit comes, does he? He comes with power. The Holy Spirit gives him direction. He knows what to do now. He has the power to confront the enemy. It completes, it gives us the ability to complete the assignment. Jesus says, the power of heaven is coming to Jerusalem. Stay in Jerusalem. Listen carefully. He makes careful instructions to these apostles. I'm, Jesus said, I'm leaving. But you must stay in Jerusalem until you receive the power to complete your assignment. That's how the Gospel of Luke ends. Those instructions he gives to his apostles before he leaves. And Luke is going to fill in a 40-day gap in the book of Acts before the Spirit falls upon the church there's a 40-day gap here let me read the first three verses from the book of acts in my first book i told you theopolis about everything jesus began to do and teach 
until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after the crucifixion, he, Jesus, appeared to his apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about what? He talked to them about something specific, the kingdom of God. 40 days. It looks like Jesus appeared and revealed himself at least 12 times. Do you know that? It looks like he revealed himself at least 12 times to these people, certain people after the resurrection. Those appearances were as few as one. He met Mary Magdalene singularly at the tomb to as many as 500, which is recorded in 1 Corinthians 15. Why was Jesus revealing himself after the resurrection? Why was it such a big deal that he reveals himself 12 different times at least to more than 500 people? Why? He needed to prove that he had a physical bodily resurrection, that he was physically bodily alive, that that man that was physically dead was now physically alive. But there's one more reason. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. He told them about the kingdom. Because from that moment on, they were going to be in the kingdom business. Now, Luke is going to get specific about one of those 40 days after the crucifixion. Verse 4 and 5. Once, when, we, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Most of Jesus' apostles were from Galilee. Now, if you know anything about the geography of Israel, Galilee is 70 miles from Jerusalem, and they didn't have cars. So, you know what Jesus is telling them? Stay here. They're from Galilee, so it would be natural for them to go home. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. But he says, no, you got to stay here in Jerusalem until something happens. Don't go home. Stay in Jerusalem until you get the gift. Stay in Jerusalem until you get the power. Stay in Jerusalem until you get the Holy Spirit. And here it comes. Pay attention. Here it comes. Stay in Jerusalem until I come back. What? You're leaving. But stay in Jerusalem until I come back. In the form of the Holy Spirit. Can your mind grasp that? Because I'll tell you, people struggle with this. Stay in Jerusalem. Here bodily Jesus, standing in front of them, touch my hands, touch my scars, Jesus, says, I want you to stay in Jerusalem until I come back. But he's going to come back in the form of the Holy Spirit. Jesus describes this gift as a promise of the Father. But what is the gift? Who is the gift? Let's go to the Gospel of John. I want you to understand the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 27, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit. He says, I am leaving you. He's, he's leaving. He's going to be going back to the Father. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind peace of heart and the peace i give you is a gift 
It's a gift from God that the world can't give you. So don't be troubled or afraid. Let me say something in this. There's some people in this room today that have this gift. You have peace of mind, peace of heart. You understand what he's saying right now. You understand that the Holy Spirit, this gift of God, gives you peace of mind and peace of heart. You understand that whatever's going on in your life does not affect your eternity. He's got this. He's got this. It's a gift the world can't give you. Verse 28, remember what I told you, I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. Are they confused? He says, remember, I'm going away, but I'll come back. What, what is that? Is that a reference to the end of time? Come back. He says, if you really love me, you'd be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. Do you get it? Who's coming to Jerusalem? I'm asking the church overall. Do, do you get it? Who's coming to Jerusalem? What is coming to Jerusalem? He says, don't leave Jerusalem until you get the gift. What is it? I'm leaving, but stay here until you get the gift. What does Jesus mean when he says, I will come back to you again? So I'm going to ask the church a question today. I don't want you to answer out loud, but would you answer honestly to yourself? Do you know him personally, this gift? Let me, let me rephrase it. Today, right now, in this moment, can you honestly say to yourself, I have received the gift. He is in me. He is in me. Do you think he could be in you and you didn't know it? Do you think it's a secret? Do you think he secretly has entered you? Do you think he can be, do you think the, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit of Christ himself, can come inside your human flesh and you don't know it? Or maybe he's not there at all and you're empty. John 14, 17. Let Jesus describe the detail. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him. Why? Because the world isn't looking for him. And the world doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later he will be in you. Here's Jesus, physically Jesus, talking to these physical guys. And he says, the Holy Spirit right now lives with you, but later he'll be in you. I, I don't know how many of them got it at that moment. I don't even know how many of y'all are getting it right now. But the physical Jesus was with them in that moment. And he says, but he's with you now, but later he'll be in you, inside you. Verse 18. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. And here it comes. Here's the grand finale. I like to call it, I will come to you. I'm coming back. Soon the world will see me no longer. But you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father. And you are in me. And what? I am in you. Is he in you? I'm going to ask you again. Is he in you? 
you'll know. He says, you will know that I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, and I'm in you. Is he in you? You'll know. And if you don't know, there's a real problem today. There's a real problem today. Is he in you? Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them, and I'll do something. I will reveal myself to them. It's not a secret. He didn't sneak in on you. Do you know what? Do you know who they were waiting for in Jerusalem? John baptized with water, but what's coming to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost is not just water. There's a baptism coming to Pentecost. There's a baptism coming to Jerusalem, but it's not just water. Let me read Acts 1, 4 and 5 again. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, something's going to happen. It's going to change planet Earth. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is going to be new. This is going to be powerful. And the very power of God, the very power of the church to complete its mission. I'm going to tell you the truth. This church, no church, any church, nobody can complete its mission without the Holy Spirit. Because quite frankly, without the Holy Spirit, it's not a church. It's a club. John the Baptist baptized in water as a sign of repentance. The people who received John's baptism had confessed their sin and determined to live under the authority of God. John's baptism, listen carefully, was an outward sign of commitment, but John's baptism could not change the inside of a man. No, 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 it didn't. It couldn't. John's baptism was an outside sign of repentance and committal of their life to God, but it never changed their heart. The baptism of John did not change the heart of man. It couldn't change you from the inside out. And secondly, John's baptism didn't give you supernatural power. The one that's coming to Jerusalem was going to. This is back. Let me tell you how John the Baptist describes it. We read it a few minutes ago when we took communion. This is how John the Baptist describes the difference between his baptism and the baptism that was coming from Jesus. Matthew 3.11 John the Baptist said, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave or to carry his sandals. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And he's going to baptize you with what? Say the word. Fire. Whoa. He's going to baptize you with fire. Now I'm going to tell you, verse 12 Every time, both services, even before the service, when I was reading it during communion, both times, it gives me goosebumps on my arm because of the power of what's being revealed, and some of you in the room still don't get it. In the context of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, in the context, he says these words, verse 12. He, and we know who he is, his name's Jesus. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn and burning the chaff in a never-ending fire. This baptism of the Holy Spirit is the difference, is the difference between the wheat and the chaff.
It is the difference between those who are on the last day going to experience the glory of God's presence and those who are going to experience, listen, a never-ending fire. And he's coming with a winnowing fork. And he's going to separate the wheat and the chaff. And that is the context of this gift of the Holy Spirit. John says, I baptize you with water, but who's coming after me is so much greater than I am. He holds the winnowing fork that separates the wheat from the chaff. He holds eternity in his hand. Jesus didn't come to fix your outside church. Are you listening? Some of you think that Jesus would be real if he came and fixed your circumstances, if he fixed everything around you. He did not come to fix your circumstances or your outside. He came to fix that which is inside of you to change the human heart. He changes us from the inside out. Jesus didn't come so that you would experience him externally, but that you might experience him internally that he might dwell inside of you. He might reign inside of you in power and authority. And listen, he will give you a gift. He will give you a task. He will give you an assignment. And he will give you the power to complete that task, that assignment. That's why he comes. He gives you an assignment. And the assignment needs power. There are more than likely, listen carefully, church, there are more than likely people sitting in this room right now today that have been baptized with water. But you have not been baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'll let that sink in for a moment. I am compelled by God to tell you the truth. There are more than likely people in this room today that have been baptized with water, but you have not been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because when you went in the water, you refused to die to yourself. You have refused to surrender your life into God's hand and to allow him to lead you. So you, were, you received the baptism of water, but not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the difference between the two is the abiding presence of God inside your life, giving you power and authority to carry out the mission by the presence of God. And I'll tell you, water alone cannot save you. It will not save you. The baptism of water alone. John the Baptist admits, one coming after me, he baptizes you with fire. There's power. He changes you from the inside out. Does anybody in this room believe that the creator of the universe can move inside your temple, inside your body, and you don't know it, you don't feel it, you don't experience it, you don't have a calling, you don't have a purpose, you don't feel like you ought to tell somebody what? There is forgiveness of sins for those who repent. It is the message of Christ. And Christ is in you and you don't have a message? You don't have a word? He has a winnowing fork and he separates the wheat from the chaff. And the chaff will experience an everlasting fire. I don't need to tell you what that is, do I? Is this a mystery to you right now? Do you in the room understand what the winnowing fork is? Why he holds it in his hand? Everybody's not going to heaven. The chaff doesn't go to heaven. Those who refuse the Holy Spirit's power in their life do not go to heaven. They're the chaff that goes to a never-ending flame. And you think you can control your own life? You think you have control over your own life? No, you don't. 
Have you noticed the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Have you received it personally? Does the Holy Spirit live inside of you right now? I'll ask everybody a question. Do you know right now for sure, for sure, I can say that I know that the Spirit of Christ lives inside of me, reigns and lives in my body? You don't know? Is this a mystery to you? The church has lost its power to influence the world. Because much of the church does not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're not on a mission. It's still about me. It's about me. Everything's about me. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Jeremiah. And I want to tell you, this is how he describes this fire that comes inside of you. And i got to tell you about Jeremiah before I read it to you. Jeremiah was the prophet called of God, and all he had was bad news. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's not a prophet in the world that wants to be a prophet of bad news. Everybody wants to be a prophet of good news. Preachers today want to be a preacher of good news. Tell me the good stuff, preacher. But there's a generation of prophets and a generation of preachers that must preach bad news. Jeremiah was one of those. And all he had was gloom and despair. He said, Jerusalem's going to fall. Nebuchadnezzar's going to come. They're going to burn the place down. It's over. It's over. Judgment's coming. And here's what he says about that fire. Jeremiah chapter 20, O Lord, you misled me. And I allowed myself to be misled. You are stronger than I am, and you overpowered me. Now I am mocked every day. Everyone laughs at me. When I speak, the words burst out, violence and destruction. You know why? His message over and over and over is the same message. Judgment's coming, violence and destruction. How many people like to hear that? Now, let's get us a new preacher. I don't want to hear that sermon. Violence and destruction, I shout. So the messages from the Lord have made me a household joke, Jeremiah said. But if I say, you know what the power of the Holy Spirit looks like? Here it is. Jeremiah said, but if I say, I'll never mention the Lord or speak of his name. I'll just stop preaching. His word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out from trying to hold it in. I can't do it. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going to complete the assignment. Because it's inside of you. And once it's inside of you, you cannot hold it in. If I say to myself, I'll just change the message. I'll say to myself, I'll just tell them what they want to hear. He won't let you. Is this a mystery to you today? An unrevealed secret to you today? I'm going to pray. Father, I ask you today, would you let the wind blow? I ask you today, will you let the fire fall? That which you put in Jeremiah, that which you put in the early apostles, that which you put in the church on the day of Pentecost, would you put it inside of us? Put you inside of us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm here to unveil this mystery today through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. I told you last Sunday that you will see and hear something today so powerful, and I'm going to use the writings of the Apostle Paul to say what I want to say today. It's found in Colossians 1.25. Here we go. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church. 
by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. Somebody say hallelujah. The riches and the glory of Christ are not just for the Jewish people. They are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. You want to know the secret? Here it is. Church, there is no church without this. This is not optional equipment for the clergy. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. So I'm going to ask each one of you a question. Does he? This is yes or no. He's not a little bit in there. No, doesn't work like that. Almost in there. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing in his glory. You don't have to worry about the winnowing fork and the chaff and the eternal flames. You have assurance of glory because Christ lives in you. Do you know what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is? Christ lives in you. This was a secret in generations past. Many in the Old Testament didn't understand it. God wrote of this Holy Spirit, Christ in you, secret through the Old Testament prophet named Isaiah. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied this in chapter 44. But now listen to me, Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. The Lord who made you and helped you says, Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, O dear Israel, my chosen one. For I will pour out water to quench your thirst and to irrigate, irrigate your parched fields. And I will pour out my spirit on your descendants. Future generations, he's going to pour out his spirit. He's going to pour out his spirit on the future Israel, he said and my blessings on your children, and they will thrive like watered grass, like willows on a riverbank. Some will proudly claim, I belong to the Lord. Others will say, I am a descendant of Jacob. Some will write the Lord's name on their hands and will take the name of Israel as their own name. You see, changing the outside, changing the behavior, or an attempt to change our behavior is not eternal life. If you're coming to church, you've been coming to church your whole life, and you thought it was about the works that you did, that that's eternal life, you will fail. You have been deceived. You cannot change your behavior and find eternal life. God must change you from the inside out. We cannot change our own hearts. Only God can do it. Christ in me is what changes me. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you, church, it is a work of God. It is not a work of man. This is how the prophet Jeremiah describes it at the end of time. And by the way, if any of you have watched the news, uh, tomorrow, May 14th, is the 70th anniversary, at least on our calendar, 70th anniversary of the reestablishment of the nation of Israel. The American embassy is going to open in Jerusalem tomorrow. The, the Arab world, the Islamic world is, is claiming there's going to be a war start because of all that's going to happen tomorrow. There's, watch Jerusalem. Jeremiah prophesies of an event that will happen in Jerusalem in the end of days. Jeremiah 31, 31. He says this, the day is coming. 
When is it? Are you ready? I'm ready for this day. A day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. He's already gathered them from all over the world. He's already brought them back. He's already raised Jerusalem to the center of world attention. I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. He's going to change their hearts. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. Nobody can do that to themselves. You can't do that to you. I can't do that to you. God comes inside and he does it to us on the inside. And I will be their God and they will be my people. That's a future prophecy what he's going to do. When we get to Acts chapter 2, it'll take a few weeks. Peter is going to stand up as the Holy Spirit falls and he's going to quote from another Old Testament prophet. This prophet's name is Joel. Let me tell you what he's going to quote. Let me read from the Old Testament book of Joel. Verse 2, chapter 2. Then, after doing all these things, God said, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. We're living in that day. Peter prophes- he quotes this on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit falls upon the church. I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my Spirit on servants, men and women alike. And I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For some on Mount Zion in Jerusalem will escape, just as the Lord has said, these will be among the survivors whom the Lord has called. It's coming. So in light of all of that, in the launch of the book of Acts, can I ask you a question? Are you ready for the book of Acts? Are you sure? I wonder if the modern American church is ready for the book of Acts. The book of Acts is what the believers acted like after they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm afraid that much of the modern American church looks nothing like the church in the book of Acts. What do we cover today in Acts? You'll laugh when I tell you five verses. That's how far we got in the book of Acts. Five verses. But I'd say it in this way. Do you see the power of the Word of God? Jesus told these guys, don't leave Jerusalem until you get the gift. I say to you today, don't leave this building until you get the gift. Do you know and understand what this means? I'll read it again, John 14, 17. I'm asking you individually. If you stand before God, if anybody in this room stands before God, unforgiven of your sins, it will not be because somebody didn't tell you. John 14, 17, Jesus says, He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him. Are you looking for Him today? The world isn't looking for Him and doesn't recognize Him, but you know Him because He lives with you now. Jesus was telling them because He was standing there. 
He lives with you now, but later he'll be in you. If Jesus had stayed on the earth, his physical presence would have limited the spread of the gospel because physically he could only be in one place at one time. But after Christ was taken up into heaven, he would spiritually be present everywhere through the Holy Spirit. Guess what? Through the Holy Spirit, he's in China right now. He's in Singapore. He's in Russia. He's all over Europe. He's everywhere right now because the Spirit of Christ is inside people and those people are up walking around. He's in this room. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ himself, living inside temples, but these temples have legs and they have mouths and they're speaking. A supernatural power living inside us changing us from the inside out. A supernatural power living inside us, directing our lives, not for the glory of yourself, not for the accumulation of wealth or stuff or things, but for the glory of His name. That's the purpose of your life. A supernatural power living inside of us, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Word of God. What is that word? There is forgiveness of sins for those who repent. Would you tell somebody that? Are you afraid you'll hurt their feelings? The winnowing fork will separate the wheat and the chaff. The church could never complete its mission without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent so that God would be with and within the followers of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God, and I'm going to tell you, you will not survive without this breath. The Holy Spirit... You can't complete your mission without this breath. You don't have the power. <coughs> Let the wind blow. That's what happened on Pentecost. The wind blew. The fire fell. You will die without this breath of life in your lungs, and the hell is for the breathless. Some of you are dying right now. I'm going to close with this scene. In all reality, some of you are dying right now. You're drowning in your own sin. You have no intention of repentance. No intention of repentance. You're here today for a totally different reason. Some of you right now are dying. You're drowning in your own sin. You have no intention of repentance. You can't breathe. You're drowning in your own sin. Some of you don't even know you're drowning. That's the most frightening part of all. I pray that today the Holy Spirit will reveal your condition because I'm going to close today with a powerful video that reveals the human condition without the Holy Spirit. The human condition without Jesus. What our reality is without Jesus. This video will reveal the truth of our human condition. To live a life without the Holy Spirit. And here's what the difference is. You know why people are reluctant to receive the Holy Spirit? Because you will not receive the Holy Spirit until you're willing to turn loose of your own life, your own control, your own power, your own accumulation of wealth, your own agenda. You must deny yourself, take up a cross to follow Him. And that means you must release this world to receive Christ. This video gives a dramatic picture of what that looks like. Watch it with me.
The baptism of the Holy Spirit is death to your own life. It is death to you. You must die. Spiritually speaking, you must be willing to die. You must surrender all that you have into his hands. But you don't want to. But you will drown. In your own sin, you will drown. You will die. And the winnowing fork will separate the wheat from the chaff into everlasting fire. You cannot be born again until you're willing to die to yourself. And there are people in this room today, you've been baptized with water, but you have not been baptized with the Spirit, because if you would tell the truth, your life is about you. It's about you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is Christ in me, reigning in me. The hope of glory is Christ inside of me. I can breathe because it's His breath in my lungs. It'll never stop, but you're going to drown in your sin. There's forgiveness of sins for those who repent. It is the message of the church, but you don't want to repent. You don't want to turn loose of the world. You want to have both. You want the world and Jesus, but you'll have to turn loose of this world to have Him. You will drown in your sins without Him, and you will lose everything without Him. Don't leave here today without Him, without His breath inside you. Why? Because the next time He comes to Jerusalem, it'll be too late. The next time He comes to Jerusalem, it will not be the form of the Holy Spirit. He comes to make war. He comes with a winnowing fork to separate the wheat from the chaff. The next time he comes, read the scriptures. When he comes again, it won't be in the form of the Holy Spirit falling upon people's lives. It'll come as a king of kings and lord of lords. And he will come as a warrior to make war against those who have refused to bow to him in this life. I'm going to ask everybody in the room a question. Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You've got a yes or no answer you're going to have to deal with. Have you been born again of the water and the Spirit? Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he puts them together. You must be born again of the water and the Spirit. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven without this breath of life, without being born of the water and the Spirit. You cannot do it. Don't test God. In John chapter 3, I like to call it the prelude of John 3.16. Everybody knows John 3.16, but do you know what the prelude is? Here it is. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Some of you got water, but you didn't get the Spirit. You didn't get it. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life, and spiritual life has no end. So don't be surprised, Jesus said, when, you, when I say you must be born again. The wind, that's why I keep praying today, let the wind blow. Lord, let the fire fall. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how, the, how to be born of the Spirit. I don't know how he does it, I just know he does it. How does he come inside of me? I don't know, but I know he did. And if you don't know today that he lives inside of you, that he reigns inside of you, that your life's purpose is found in him, something's wrong. Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? 
I got somebody already scheduled. They're going to stand back there next to the baptistry. They're not in the water. They're standing next there ready. I'm going to ask Chad to come out with the invitation. There's somebody here today that the Holy Spirit says to you, today's the day that I'm going to turn loose of this world. Today's the day, I, Lord, I die to myself. I give my life to you. Unconditionally, I surrender myself into your arms. And if you walk out that door today and the Holy Spirit's prompting you to do that and you say no, you're on your own. You're on your own. You won't, God didn't do it to you. You did it to you. So somebody's back there. Somebody, I, you know, I'm not going to make this complicated. Just stand up, walk through any of those doors, go toward the back. A guy will meet you back there. He'll baptize you in water, but he'll baptize you in water so that you might receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Father, let the wind blow. Let the fire fall. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.